Welcome, listener. Welcome to episode six of the Tell Me More Cards podcast. Thank you for joining me from wherever you are in the world. Now make yourself comfortable, get the sound levels just right, and we will embark on this interesting, gentle, poignant conversation with my new guest. On the darkest of darkest days in December, dark moon, dark winter, pretty much winter solstice. Uh, and I have my guest in the room with me, ready to introduce himself, or you can stay anonymous. And the question is going to be uh, fresh out of the deck, so you've not had your 30 minutes to think about it. No. So, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, I'll introduce myself. My name is Chris. I'm 58 years old. Uh, well, a little bit about myself. Yeah, whatever a feels natural. A little bit of background. Uh, I'm worked in worked in computer industry for a large chunk of my life. Kind of been a been a geek and into science since childhood. Went went straight straight to work in the computer industry and pretty much worked straight through three or four different jobs. But until about two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, I was made redundant at that point and decided to take a few years out, explore some of my kind of hobbies at the time. So that's basically photography and a um, little bit of graphic design, things like that. And um, one of my big lifelong interests has been music. So I used to, I used to go, well, I still do, in fact, go and go and see an awful lot of gigs and bands. And through my photography and my graphic design dabblings, I started getting involved with that a little bit more. So Brilliant. I spent a few years um, running around photographing bands, most, mostly quite little low-key little sort of bands on the extremely unfashionable underground prog rock band circuit. <laughs> so very few, very few names people would have heard of, but bands that are playing to sort of two or three hundred people maybe, and um, you know, quite productive putting albums out. And I was helping out doing live photography and doing um, album cover design, that kind of thing. Brilliant. Um, started doing some sort of self-development work at that point as well. Um, after I'd been made redundant, I had, a, I had a period of illness as well. So I had a, a phase of recovery from that that took me a while. And um, lost a lot of self-confidence. And started sort of started, um, thinking about doing a little bit of self-development work. Um, so this the time my time out of mainstream employment carried on um, for a few years and way way beyond what I expected actually um, and then mid mid twenty tens I started to become involved in the care of my parents who started to suffer from various various health failures mm. um, became less able to manage themselves mm. so really the last five or six years up until up until the, COVID times, um, I was a carer for my parents, um, both of whom have now died. Um, right. So I'm currently at another junction point in my life um, where I need to figure out what to do with my remaining years, um, both from the point of view of actually kind of getting out and enjoying life and claiming life back for myself, um, but also in terms of I have to be realistic and need to start earning some money again. So I'm, I'm Kind of the the, uh, the balls I'm trying to juggle in the air at the moment to sort my life out are selling my parents' old house and deciding where where in the country I'm going to move to mm. um, with my half of of what I've inherited, 
yeah. to, to get me to get me my own place. Um, and then I need to find my, my way back into work again. And I'm hoping I'll be able to find something either on a part-time basis or a work-from-home basis or a combination of those things. So I'm okay. a little bit more in control of my life for, for what's left of my working career. Interesting. Okay, thank you. That was, that was, that was a, a, that was a, a long very thorough... We, we know you well now. Yeah. This is brilliant. So that's going to make this question even more interesting, I think, oh, because okay. your question is... Who can you trust to take care of things? Oh, indeed. It's very tempting to be flippant at this point <laughs> and say me <laughs> and nobody else. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, I think for a start, the years I've spent looking after my parents, you know, it's a long time since I've felt parented. Mm. And, and that's right, and rightly so, at the age I am, I shouldn't need to be parented. And indeed, you know, um, Lots of the time I've lived back with my parents. You know, I've, all, I've always been a lodger in their house for, for, um, for the early part of the 2000s. My job at the time was taking me all around the country. Right. So I was working away a lot. And then my, my hobbies were also taking, this is my following of the music scene right. and, and going out with bands and doing photography and things. So I was, I was away from home a lot. So I was kind of like a lodger in my parents' house for a lot of the early 2000s. Right. And then, and then I kind of became the parent to my parents when they when they started to suffer with their health issues. Um, so if need, something needed taken care of, it was generally me that had to do it. Oh, um, wow. um, although admittedly, you know, my parents would foot the bills if it was issues to do with them. So I wasn't I wasn't totally having to foot foot the bills for everything. Mm. Um, I've been single the majority of my life as well, not through choice, but just. Because that's the way things have worked out. Mm-hmm. So I've I've never had long periods of time in a sort of partnership situation where the mm-hmm. load's been spread. Right. So this is a really um, poignant question for someone like yourself, then, because you it really is. have. I mean, your character, like you say, you are the kind of person that would take care of things, but also your circumstance means that. It has been you. Circumstances have kind of forced me to take care so of it, Yeah, so that really forces us to go deeper with this question, doesn't it? And just kind of consider where else, how else we can interpret it and, and what we can dig through. Because the surface answers quite clearly that it's yourself. It is myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm quite a pragmatist as well. And um, I'm quite a practical bird. I kind of, I think I mentioned in the introduction, I've kind of got, I've had an interest since childhood in science and and um, and technology and and how things work. I've been pulling things to bits since I was a kid. So I used to, I used to buy old black and white TVs at jumble sales. At the end of the jumble sale, when nobody bought them because everybody moved into colour TVs, I'd go around and I'd buy the remain I'd buy the remaining black and white TVs for a penny or something, or yeah. be told to take them away because they wanted rid of them. Yeah. And I'd go home and I'd sit out in my backyard at home or in, in, in the spare room at home and, and pull the TV to pieces. And my parents quite happily let me get on with that. <laughs> Miraculously, I didn't manage to electrocute myself. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of it was kind of a lifelong fascination with, with either pulling things to pieces or, or, or building things up again, which kind of started started out in childhood with Lego. Oh, good old Lego. And then I got I got into sort of practical things at school. I love I love the science and stuff like that at school, but I also enjoyed um, doing woodwork. And I did a I did an A level in what nowadays is called design and technology. Mm. Um, I think at the time it was just called design, which sounds like a bit of a vague topic. 
Yeah, means something very different now as well, I bet. <laughs> yeah. So that kind of that kind of took in woodwork, metalwork, um, plastics technology, um, technical drawing, mm. and uh, and then kind of other other fields that you could bring in based on your personal interests. So for me, that was things like electronics. Um, so I developed quite a lot of I, I learned quite a lot of practical skills. Um, I like to understand how things work and how to fix things. Um, so I would take on, you know, I would take take on sort of little minor repair jobs around the house or DIY, DIY tasks. I build shelves if shelves needed building, um, if the washer needed changing on a tap or something like that. I would I would do it rather than call the plumber out. If I if I could do it myself or if I could figure out how to do it myself, I would do. And nowadays, in the age of there being a video on everything <laughs> on YouTube, I could do even more stuff for myself. Um, which is just as well, really, because it's very, very hard to get tradespeople to do things these days. Isn't it just? <laughs> and it's very, very hard to find businesses that are interested in repairing things. Mm -hmm. So I end up, I end up taking care of things for for friends as well. You know, for example, at the moment I've got a Blu-ray player. A friend of mine had a very expensive Blu-ray player which broke down, and I was able to determine quite quickly that the reason it broke down is the power supply had given up the ghost on it. Oh, really? That's and, of course, you can't just take something somewhere nowadays and get a power supply fixed. You're, you're expected to throw it in the bin, buy a new one. So I, I brought it home with me. Um, I, what I plan to do is adapt it and make it run off a, a spare power supply that, that my friend had for an old hard drive, for an old external hard drive, which I can adapt very easily mm. to, to power the DVD player with a little bit, little bit of bodgery. <laughs> and I reckon it will be right as rain and it will save him spending another three or four hundred pounds on a, some one of these ultra HD Blu-ray players. Oh well. my so goodness. Not like a dirt cheap one yeah. you can buy from the supermarket. Wow. Um, but the modern world doesn't want people to repair things and I kind of I kind of fight quite strongly against that. Well I'm I'm definitely with you on that matter for sure. The reduce, reuse and don't even get to recycle. Sure. <laughs> repurpose. I don't, reduce, I don't reuse, repurpose things. Yeah, and I you know I built various bits and pieces of very utilitarian but quite practical furniture sort of mm. out of bits of other people's ripped out kitchens. And, yeah, oh great. Um, I got a I got a whole pile of old mahogany shelving from a very posh house nearby that was having a fitted study ripped out. They advertised the wood on recycle, and when I went round to the house, I couldn't believe my eyes because the, the pavement in front of the house was just strewn with sheets of mahogany. Oh. So I've had that stacked up in my shed, and every time, every time I want something that looks a little bit nice, than you kind of standard chipboard. Dip into the mahogany stash. I dip into stash. my mahogany stash. <laughs> wow! Look and I don't it. think you can even buy mahogany nowadays. I think it's, I think it's sort of, you know, considered a, a black market material because it's because yeah. it's such a precious commodity. Wow. Um, but there, I'm, I'm sort of straying off topic a little bit. But I'm very much kind of, I'm very much a kind of do it myself, fix it myself, look after it myself, figure it out myself person mm. where I can be mm. and um, and I enjoy that to be honest it's not often it's not often I find it an unpleasant experience um, but it can be a hell of a time drain that's the big caveat on this fixing things can yeah. be a, can take 
you when you actually factor in what people's time is worth if yeah. they're doing a kind of full-time job you start to begin why people don't run businesses repairing them. yeah because exactly. i can quite easily disappear a weekend on some quite trivial tasks because i'm that determined to it myself yeah so there are pitfalls it's not quite it's not quite as much of a case of well why the hell doesn't everybody else do this because yeah there are there are kind of reasons why it wouldn't make sense and in my position i'm you know, I'm perhaps in a slightly luxurious position at the moment, but I'm not doing a nine to five kind of five five six days a week job and kind of worn out at the end of the day. It means I can means I can do these things. Yeah, and absolutely. means I can take the time to learn how to do something, or I can I can search YouTube for a video on how to get the back off an Apple Mac or something like <laughs> that. Which heaven forbid you have to do it without a specialised video because they really don't want you to take the back off it and fix it yourself. They really don't, do they? I, I do love the fact, though, that you can find a video to fix almost anything now. It's funny how we've got that kind of um, confliction of the fact that no one's repairing things, but for the first time ever, there's a video on how to repair everything. Yeah, it's like it's, it's a real kind of countercar. I'm just waiting for the days when YouTube decides that you know instructional videos and how to do anything that stands your remotest chance of injuring yourself with a tool or electricity will just get completely banned. Dread to think. Who knows? Who knows where it's all going to go? I'm going to let you steer me back on topic because I've got no, a feeling I'm is, drifting quite a long way off it, topic. It's anyway. perfectly fine. This is what it's all about. <laughs> okay. We just we start with a question and then we go and yeah. we go where it goes. But I was wondering. Um, so who can you trust to take care of things? So I think I was going to. Maybe we could say so. Who just to explore it because you really are you is the answer. Um, so what about who, who trusts you to take care of things? I mean, you've already in, indirectly answered that, I suppose. But maybe we could turn it around that way. Who trusts you to take care of things? I think I'm... Hmm, let me think. Most of my close friends kind of kind of know what I'm like, so I think they know I'm, I'm a trustworthy person. Um, or if they need a little bit of help thinking through things, mm. they'll perhaps turn to me. Or ask for my or ask for my thoughts on it at least. Um, I'm just contemplating how to what degree my brother trusts me to take care of things. Yeah, I think I I think I bundled him with the friends. He he kind of brings <laughs> brings me his gadgets that need fixing. Yeah. Or you know if something breaks, he asks me if it's worth bothering with. Okay. Um, but he has his own family, so I mean, he wouldn't be asking me for, for kind of running a family guidance or yeah. relationship guidance or bringing up kids guidance. You know, <laughs> he'd be the person, if I was in that situation, I'd be turning him for the advice. Oh, okay. Um, if it's stuff related, people come to me. Okay, all right, so that's, <laughs> that's interesting. Probably, that's probably an interesting way of kind of Oh, maybe we should go that way then. So if we're bringing it back to the, who can you trust to take care of things? Or whatever it is, who can you trust to take care of things that aren't things? Or aren't kind of logic dependent I'm physically, things. like, yeah, I'm, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I've, I think in the last... In the last 10 years or so, I've developed some quite close friends who've done a lot of kind of personal development work um, in various different fields. I, I don't particularly want to go into the, the fields sure. concerned or named. Sure. Um, but I know some people that have got an awful lot of life wisdom and an awful lot of dealing with issues wisdom mm. that I can speak to mm. and, and quite often do. 
yeah, things like um, I'm quite chill. I was I was going to say, uh, you know, people that people that are good at kind of keeping a lid on things and staying chilled out. But thinking about, I'm actually quite chilled out myself anyway. Although <laughs> the, things wind me up, and I have a little rant about things on Facebook occasionally. <laughs> Um, and that's kind of that's kind of my safety valve and stops me exploding when things in the world frustrate me. Really, what putting it on putting a Facebook rant? Having a little, little Facebook rant. <laughs> getting some likes for it helps as well because you then feel you then feel a validated like, in your validated and, validated and heard. Yeah, um, I don't mind if people want to put, give counter arguments as well because I don't you know I, I don't always don't always see so clearly that that I can't appreciate another point of view. Oh, that's lovely. But I know some people that have done an awful lot of work on kind of self-confidence issues and mm-hmm. unconscious communication issues, um, relationship management issues, uh, self-care, just kind of giving yourself giving yourself an easy life rather than beating yourself up over things or stressing about things. Mm. So I know a lot of people that have got quite a lot of wisdom in that area that I can you know I can maybe do them a favour of, of fix their gadgets for them and they they can. Um, steady my course if I don't know how to deal with the relationship issue or something like that. Right. Um, for a lot of people, it would be their parents, and I can, I think I can fairly honestly say, you know, without without expressing any lack of love for my parents, or, or, or you know, I never had, any, never felt any lack of care from them, but they were never never great at steering me along, kind of emotionally and. On my life path, they pretty much left me to figure it out for myself, mm. and were you know were supportive of the ways I was figuring it out for myself. Okay. So I kind of very rare, I very rarely went to them with it, went to them with issues, and they would very rarely kind of voluntarily pick up on something and offer me any guidance on things. Right. Yeah. And I suppose I have a little bit of sadness that I never had that with my parents because I do see it. Um, I'm currently in a relationship with someone who has who has two grown up children, and I look at the relationship that they have with their children, and I see it so so different to my childhood, and just the the kind of bond between between the mum and the children. And as I say, it was never something, it was never something when I was a child or when I was a young adult that I felt was missing. But as I as mm. I matured myself and kind of got into my 40s and my 50s I thought yeah I never really kind of had that nurturance when I was a child if I look back on how I was through my probably early teens maybe even kind of late single figures years I was very much a although I had a I had a younger brother who was seven years younger than me so perhaps too big a gap to ever be my best mate yeah um our interests never quite overlapped at the right level to be kind of Playmates yeah. as such, or uh, or soulmates. So I was always kind of doing my own thing, and I, you know, I had my friends that I'd kind of pursue my geeky hobbies with, or I'd you know I'd be doing you know when, when I was a little kid I'd be doing Lego on my own or something or Meccano or something like that. <laughs> and as I got older, I'd be kind of doing my doing my science stuff, doing my electronics. You know, it's back in the days when I was at school. The uh, the local town had its own electronic shop, like 
sell electronic components and mm. tools and things. Oh, right, yeah. Um, sort of thing you don't really get now. And mm. Since the days that the, the Maplin stores demised, you yeah. can't really find those hobbyist stores anymore. It's all online. You can mm. still get things online. But back, in, back in the days, in my school days, you could kind of go down go down to the local electronic shop with your with your pocket money. You know, where, where other people might have been you know, going to the record shop and buying music or something, or going to the sweet shop buying sweets or, or whatever other dubious activities teenagers got up to. I'd be down the electronic shop and I'd be sort of buying you know, half a dozen resistors, a few capacitors <laughs> and a few transistors and maybe, maybe a couple of chips. <laughs> and then I get I go home and get my electronics magazine out, and I'd, I'd solder myself a circuit together and make some sort of infernal noise making contraption, or, <laughs> or light blinking circuit, yeah. or digital counter, or something like that. Quite a solitary pastime, so I'd kind of tinker around, tinker around in my bedroom with my soldering iron, or with my, you know, with my dismantling things, or with my chemistry experiments. I was, I was keen on keen on chemistry as a kid as well. Mm. And again, you can't do this nowadays. You know, if 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 children nowadays were doing the things I was doing when I was a kid, we'd probably get picked up on by the terrorists yeah. or something. Because we were, we were going down the garden centre or the local chemist and buying, buying chemicals to make gunpowder and oh, this kind God, of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you probably can't even get this stuff in mainstream shops anymore, but no. we're, we're talking about the 1970s here. And you could get these things and the textbooks showed you how to do it. And you could make little bombs and kind of blow up the soil in your back garden. Oh, my God. And yeah. uh, and I used to entertain you know my other friends and my cousins and things. I'd make make these little fireworks for them in test tubes and kind of <laughs> wrap them up in little paper tubes and make my own fireworks. Oh wow, <laughs> that's probably. But I was just going to ask you what's the best thing you ever made, but I think you just answered it. If you were making fireworks, well, that's that's the best. <laughs> that's thing homemade have, fireworks. It's the best thing I'm going to fess up to. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> blowing up the lawn and making yeah. your friends put homemade fireworks. What a, what a, <laughs> One of, one of my more dubious school friends did actually manage to blow up the local public toilets by putting sodium down. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even understand the science. Is that because of the bleach that the cleaner would paint or something? I don't know. Um, no, it's sodium. <laughs> I mean, you know, children aren't supposed to have sodium. I'm not going to say... I'm There's not a reason gonna, that sodium's I'm, not going I'm not going I'm not going to spill the beans on, on how this, this person I knew had got the sodium. Yeah. <laughs> It involved in a publication that was around at the time called Exchange and Mart. Oh, right, yeah. Um, oh, my God. Oh. But the guy, had, the, guy had a, the guy had a bar of sodium which was wrapped in, wrapped in oil-soaked cloth, I think, to stop it spontaneously combusting. And he was selling, you could buy a slice of sodium in the school playground. What? From, you know, you do this little behind-the-bike sheds transaction. You get your slice of sodium. You take a jar of paraffin in and stop it, stop it combusting. <laughs> And what you could do, and this is an experiment they showed you at school in chemistry, I don't know if this is still even taught these days, mm. but the chemistry teacher would cut a tiny, tiny piece of sodium. Sodium is quite a soft metal, yeah. so you could kind of cut it with a knife. You cut a little piece off it and drop it in a trough of water, and it would buzz around like a little motorboat, oh, yeah. giving off hydrogen, and sometimes it would kind of, sometimes it gets so hot that it would ignite the hydrogen, so you had a little ball of flame whizzing around in the bowl. <laughs> That's very cool. I don't remember that one. So that's, I think we used like bicarb or some much, much tamer version. Right. Well, potassium did it as well. Potassium did it in a slightly more oh, exciting that way. That would, that would blow up. Or calcium would do it in a slightly tamer way. Oh. But all these, all these kind of reactive metals were, were dem- you know, the, you weren't allowed to do it yourself in chemistry at school. The teacher would demonstrate yeah. it. Um, but anyway, the, yeah, the, the long and short of it is, Various various children were running around my hometown with their own personal little supplies of sodium. Oh my god! 
and and <laughs> one of one of my slightly more reckless friends decided to put quite a big piece of sodium as an experiment into the local public toilets and pull the flush on it. Oh God! And I didn't see this in person, but anecdotally, all all that was left after we pulled the flush was the um, the kind of bottom of the toilet basin protruding from the floor of the toilet and an overflowing toilet tank trying to fill no toilet. Oh, my God. I hope you shut the cubicle door, because I don't imagine those flying pieces of porcelain were much fun. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he, he didn't seem to get harmed. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, I don't know whether whether you'll even have to maybe edit this out so the police don't come in round. Track down the culprit. This was a very long time ago. This was probably round about the early 80s. So I think, and those toilets are long gone anyway. Oh, it was just all good fun back in it those was days, good, wasn't it? It was all just good fun in yeah, the 70s. Yeah, scuffing our knees, staying out till streetlights came on yeah. and all that jazz. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I've no idea, I've no idea how I got to that from taking care of things. Oh yes, my childhood. So my yeah. So my yeah, my childhood not really been not really been that closely parented. I was looked after, you know. I was fed and watered, and I was clothed, and I was taken on holidays. Nothing. Nothing went wrong in my childhood, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. But looking back as an adult, I, w- I probably wasn't probably wasn't given the emotional nurturance mm, okay. that, that I would, with hindsight, like to have had. Mm. And I think possibly a, a consequence I've carried through life from that is I've, I'm not a very outwardly mo- emotional person. I've always mm. kind of struggled for my emotions to be seen, yeah. and I do wonder. I do wonder if that's kind of a Something that goes back to childhood is a bit of a chicken and egg thing because because I wasn't using my emotions as a way to control my parents or because my parents weren't reading my emotions and responding to my emotions. I perhaps never just kind of developed that emotional intelligence and emotional ways of communicating in my formative years. So even nowadays, sometimes situations can arise, and I'll be upset, and people don't people people don't notice I'm upset, and um, or if something's bothering me, bothering me, they might not notice something's bothering me. Mm. So re- relatively recent part of my journey, this this is part of the self development that I that I again think I've mentioned in my introduction. Yeah. It's been a little bit of that has been about learning to express myself better and learning to be more kind of honest about my feelings and say just say what I'm feeling rather than just expect people to read what I'm feeling because generally <laughs> speaking people are not reading what I'm feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I would like to think I would like to think going forward my life there will be there will be I will be drawing more people into my circle you know that, that will maybe take care of things for me a little bit more okay yeah and um it would be interesting to see what that feels like it's that change from, of dynamics this, um, yeah. kind of uh i was going to say loner from a loner perspective i never felt like a loner mm. and I, I don't have ne- i very very seldom feel lonely and i know lots of people okay. and i've got what i consider to be a good core of friends and I've got people I can talk to. So, mm. so loner isn't really true, but I'm, but self-contained. It comes back to being fairly self-contained, yeah, and practical. I think, yeah. And I, I, I kind of often come back to that feeling of self-containedness. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's kind of nice to experiment sometimes with dropping that away and you know, maybe being 
maybe having a little bit of containment from other people for a change. So that's potentially where your next steps are then. Yeah, I mean, you already said you were at a crossroads. You, the start that's right, part yeah. of, yeah, yeah. Part of the crossroads for so sure. Changing that balance, changing it up a little bit. Yeah. I'm one of two, I'm one of two children. But my, my brother has his own... My brother lives about an hour away from here. Okay. About an hour away from, away from where myself and my parents live. Mm. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't exactly far away, but he had, he had three, three small girls. Um, you know, his, own, his own life and his own job and his own wife and family. So he was never, he was never massively involved in the care of my parents either. Mm. So it largely fell on me to deal with that yeah. you know, and to deal with dealing with, dealing with social services or all social services are well dealing we with the, dealing with the care sector, yeah, dealing with yeah. national health, which I could I could probably waffle for another whole <laughs> hour or two about the nightmares I had dealing with issues on behalf of my parents yeah. with the National Health Service, yeah. which really doesn't have the resources to, no. um, to to look after people that don't have somebody to advocate for them. Yeah, true. And this is a big a big difference I found between. My parents' years of failing health, and my own experience of the NHS when I had a, I had a severe period of illness around mm. about two thousand and six. Yeah. And I was in hospital, I think, for five weeks myself. Wow. And, and I was able to speak for myself. If I needed something, I could make. I knew how to make a fuss. Mm. Um, not not an unreasonable fuss, but mm. I knew how to be. I knew how to get myself heard, or I yeah. knew what knew what I needed to do. And I would ask repeatedly if I needed something, and yeah. if I didn't understand things, I would ask. Yeah. And the big difference I noticed looking after my parents is, had I not been there to look after things on their behalf, um, I do feel I would have been horribly neglected and failed by the system. Um, yeah. Not totally failed by the system, but I just made it very apparent to me what what trouble we're in with our national we're health in, service. Yeah, it's on its knees, isn't it? It's systematically broken down over decades. Yeah. Yeah. So wow, I kind of you. felt like I was taking care of. I, yeah. I almost felt like I was doing the job of the NHS and under the of the care companies sometimes yeah. because they were unable to do their own job. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a good job that they had you to will, willing and able, mm. and being very clear minded about it as well, able to communicate. It's maybe quite cynical, I think, as well about the um, you know the role of the state and the role of our the role of our institutions that are kind of traditionally viewed as being there to support us. Yeah. Um, I've lost a lot of confidence in recent years that mm. that those those systems and those organisations. I think there's still a there's still a will to to uh, to take care of things for us, but I just think they're almost at the point where they're kind of crippled and unable to do their do their roles at the moment. And I, I find that a very worrying thing in the modern world. I, I kind of despair a little bit of our political parties at the moment, allowing yeah. things to get to the state they're in. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm having to kind of keep my gob shut here because I could go on a massive rant about that. But let's steer away it from... a whole new podcast series. Like <laughs> the political rant sorting series. Sorting the world out <laughs> podcast series. Let's, let's steer away from the politics, although yes. I think everyone listening is going to agree that you know, sure, yeah. what, with what you're I mean, saying, I mean, we'll, not... we'll all have had our experiences to, to validate that yeah. as well. And I mean, I will add, you know, that the, the, the experiences of individual people within the care sector and the... Mm. And the, and the, and the Health service. Mm. You know, I'm not. I'm not knocking individual people no. in any way, shape, course. or form. Yeah. We've had some most amazing people. Yeah. Um, 
but the system is creaking, system. is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and, that I hear, and, yeah. and no surprise in that, I think everybody everybody that's not living under a stone in the country knows <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay, so for the final question, I'm going to really challenge you now. Oh, Sorry, okay. the final uh, few moments of our podcast, I'm going to challenge you. Okay. Because from what you've said, it sounds like you wanted to work on your um, emotional communication. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to revisit the question and I want you to respond um, with the emotions that, it, that come up when you when you read the question. So how who can you trust to take care of things? What emotions arise for you around that? Because we've talked about the practical component and it's easy to see the question as a very practical thing. So if you feel willing and able, what, what's the emotional response to that question? I think I feel... There's there's a sadness that I that I don't automatically feel there's someone that I can trust to take care of things mm. for me. Mm. Um, as I've as I've mentioned already, I've been single a lot of my life. I'm I'm actually currently in a relationship which which I'm I'm really really loving, mm. um, and and getting close to somebody who I really feel I can trust with stuff. That's and there's been a a role model of you know taking taking care of her own family. Mm. I'd like to keep that in my life. I'd like to keep you know keep 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 that sort of relationship. Um, just feel like I'm not on my own, not doing things on my own. Yeah. Um, I know I know I can do things on my own. I know I, I know I can be reasonably competent at doing things on my own. Just sometimes feels like I would just rather share it, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm optimistic about that. You know, I'm sad that I, I'm sad that I can't. Sad and I'm a little angry that I kind of can't trust some of our country's organisations and infrastructures in the way I'd like to be able to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely feel angry about that. Yeah, I can't think of anything else to say on that really. But, okay. but I, 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 w- I would like to. I would like to feel more emotionally able to trust somebody else and kind of know that whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm uh, struggling with or struggling to communicate or just feeling a little bit overwhelmed by, they can not necessarily, not necessarily, not necessarily do it for me or. You know, take the load, but be there with me mm. on that, mm. and, and share it at an emotional level, even if it's not necessarily at a practical level. Yeah, absolutely. Does that That kind of answered the question. That's exactly. Yeah, I would say yeah. that's that's exactly what we're kind of circling around through this podcast. You talked about the personal emotional component, but also on the bigger scale of like, like you say the the structures of the country and the different feelings that that brings up about who can you trust to take care of things well question mark over the NHS given the given the fact that it's been dismantled so so there's a yeah there's all these different slants that you've covered the mm. the, the personal family personal with current relationships past relationships I think I think we've covered it all <laughs> I think you've absolutely okay. covered it there that's amazing well I, yeah I certainly feel like I went off on a few <laughs> Waffles there. Not um, at all. You gave some excellent stories. I'm. Uh, I think there's going to be <laughs> some interesting 
thoughts about your the science experiments you had? <laughs> oh well, I mean that you know I could I could I could tell you more of those, but that's another podcast. Well, maybe so. you've got a little one to finish this, finish the podcast off. If there's one that you've you've missed out, it's a good story. You could stick that on to uh, send us away with a with another personal story. It's always nice. Well, it's, it kind of goes, yeah, going back to the kind of chemistry thing when I was a kid, and again, this is, this it astonishes me now to look back on this and, and remember that this was a thing at school and this was officially sanctioned. <laughs> um, myself and, and a few of my chemistry geek friends at school, um, we had a particularly cool chemistry teacher. Um, Excellent. That's probably point. why you got into it so much. <laughs> yeah, he, he really, he, I mean, he did really, really did make it fun. But we persuaded him to set up an after-school chemistry club so that we could do extra experiments, <laughs> Great. Um, you know, and make extra explosions and things. Yeah. And not only that, but we we actually managed to managed to persuade him to to let us buy chemicals from the school chemist. Oh. School chemicals, <laughs> and I believe it was all above board <laughs> and legitimate. Um, it certainly wasn't, you know, it certainly wasn't kind of hidden from sight or anything. Mm. We could basically c- kind of go along after school with our little shopping list of what chemicals we'd like. <laughs> and, you'd, you know, he'd weigh out, the chem- weigh out the chemical. We'd take our own jars along. We'd go to, we'd go to chemist shops in town and, and ask them for old chemical bottles, oh my old God. pill bottles, so, oh we my could God. St- so we could store our chemicals in them. <laughs> and again, you know, they, the, the pharmacy, the high street pharmacies would... It was in the days when they used to count out the pills, you know. You, yeah. you, if you had a prescription, they'd count out the pills from a bulk storage yeah. jar into a little brown bottle for you mm. so they had all the bulk storage containers when they were empty got thrown out mm. and you could also buy the little the little brown pill bottles you know for a cost price essentially yeah, yeah. so we go along to the chemist and we'd, we'd get our little brown little brown bottles and you know they'd sell you the kind of corrugated bottles you know for containing poisons the ones <laughs> that had the kind of Rib, you know, the ribbed um, brown bottles and the smooth brown ones, yeah. and, and the little jars with the screw cap lids and things. And then we go along, we go along to our chemistry club, and then at the end of chemistry club, we'd have the kind of shopping bit. We'd have our little shopping list. And the chemistry teacher would kind of go into the lab lab stores at the back of the chemistry labs, and they they kind of spoon out onto the measuring scales. Metric units, I suppose, but if you wanted, I don't know, fifty grams of sulfur or something, and you know, twenty grams of potassium permanganate, oh and, and a meter of magnesium ribbon, oh and all this sort of stuff, and and it was it was all apparently perfectly above board. <laughs> and there was no trying to hide it, so I can't imagine, you know, I can't imagine that the the head of the chemistry department wasn't aware of this. Mm. Well. And it was written down in a book to show what they'd oh, sold, yeah. so yeah. it was all stock managed. Wow, flipping it. But we could buy chemicals, so we could, you know, so we could take our chemicals home and carry on, carry on to our heart's content at home. <laughs> and you know, the, I mean, I'm I'm not joking about magnesium ribbon. You know, magnesium is a highly flammable metal. <laughs> you know, the the classic lab experiment with magnesium ribbon mm. is to set a bit of it on fire, and it makes a blinding white light. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, and we and uh, we were buying it by the meter and take it home to impress our parents. Oh with, my god! And setting it on fire on the gas cooker. Oh. <laughs> And I just, I just can't imagine anything like that being remotely allowed nowadays. No, it's the good old days. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, another, another very, very quick one I used to do as a kid. You know, I used to, 
it was in the days where a lot of old lead piping was being ripped out of houses and replaced with copper piping or um, or yeah. plastic piping. Yeah. I used to collect the old lead piping. I used to melt it down on the gas cooker in an old pan. Oh. So I'd have a pan of molten oh, lead on the gas cooker. Oh my god. So, and then I'd pour it. I'd pour it into old cardboard boxes and kind of mould it into ingots. And the cardboard box would singe on yeah. the inside, but it would contain the lead. It would and I'd it. make these little lead bricks just. For no good reason whatsoever, apart from just for the sheer fun of it. Yeah, smelting your own metals. What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, and one of my one of my friends probably came perilously close to blinding himself because we 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 were doing we fortunately did this experiment outside, so that's probably a good thing. But oh, we, wow. we were again we had a pan of melted lead and we were pouring it from a height into a bucket of water because you get to, to make little drops and yeah. kind of quirky shape. But he dropped it, dropped it a bit too enthusiastically. Got a whole spray of boiling water blew oh out of his face. Oh my goodness! And the and the uh, the flagstones of his back patio were splattered with little blobs of lead after that. Really? So that could have come perilously, perilously close to a blinding incident, I think. Flipping <sighs> heck! Anyway, as I say, nineteen seventies, early eighties. Yeah, anything, anything goes. Anything goes. <laughs> It's been really, really great to chat with you. Thank you so much for oh, bringing fun. your whole self here, all your quirky little chemistry stories, yeah. your vulnerability, your a little bit of slither of politics, which we managed to just about keep within the realms of oh, it. I, I could have gone dangerous. <laughs> kind of like push that. that monster down. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's been fantastic. And uh, uh, and if anyone anyone listening wants anything fixed. Um, yeah. well, thank you. I've got a big enough queue at the moment. So have a go. There's videos out there that'll tell yeah, you how to do it. There is. If you're brave enough, you can fit anything on the using YouTube. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks, Kathy. And there you have it. Another episode, another story, another sharing. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I certainly have. If you'd like to support this podcast, please tell your friends about the Tell Me More cards that can be bought from my website at www.tellmemorecards.co.uk. Thanks so much. And until next time, stay curious. <laughs>